0: Welcome to episode three of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. That's Tip as in Tip Off for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and Tap is in the best Twin Cities craft beer scene has to offer. I'm Dan Hilton, Frontman for indie rock bands Southern Resident Killer Whales and Sunder's Dream, and current josh current host of the first team all nonsense podcast
1: it's back and i'm josh die with the Convene training and resilience community and we would like to welcome you to the only podcast in the world that focuses on the world world world-class twin cities craft beer scene and the stay after class minnesota timberwolves
0: uh, I, I will just mention on first team All Nonsense. So it's a podcast with like three listeners. It's up to in the 50s of the episodes. actually, I think there's more than that when we actually put out an episode. but we took like a seven month break. We're back. And uh, if you only ever listen to one, First team all nonsense podcast a year. You really need. So we we talk about Boston, Indiana, and Minnesota in equal measure, which is why we have no listeners. Cause like nobody,
1: that's a really An niche. Even more niche podcast than this one. <laughs> right.
0: But if you listen to just one podcast a year, it has to be our, so it's the BIM teams, B-I-M for Boston, Indiana, Minnesota. And so every year we have a very BIMmy Christmas podcast and so if you only listen to one a year that one's going to be recorded sometime this week and coming out and but we are on a much less regular schedule and i guess much less promoted (laughs) format there but a very bimmy christmas year four is is on tap but in the meantime we're going to make like bernie brewer the milwaukee fixture of the 70s and dive right into the beer josh whose beer are we drinking this week
1: Let's talk about the beer. We are drinking beer from Modest Brewing Company, located in the North Loop neighborhood of Minneapolis at 505 North Third Street. And Modest, known for that big, beautiful, sprawling, modern indoor tap room and <laughs> a rather modest patio outside for those warmer weather days. But I have some fun things I like to share about Modest. First, that's how you pronounce the name because the brewery is spelled M-O-D-I-S-T, but modest. Uh, and the way they like to describe it is a person who modifies a modern artistic expression utilizing modification to achieve a self-conscious and intentional break from the conventional and number three, a brewery in the North Loop.
0: So I've been calling a modist since you've known me. <laughs> so this news to me here, and that's, that's great to know. And now I know why.
1: Yeah. So- Other fun things about Modest, one of the things that makes them unique is their approach to recipe development. Now, rather than starting with a style guideline in mind and then moving forward, their head brewer, Keegan, uh, starts with a flavor experience in mind, then works backwards. Now, one of the things that allows them to be more creative in the wide variety of beers that they have is some of the technology that they use to brew. Now, not to get too nerdy on you, Dan, but their technology is centered around one of the region's first mash filter. Uh. Uh, And the way the mash filter works is they can use any grain in any percentage and use a fraction of the water required. So for example, a typical brewery requires eight to 10 gallons of water to produce one single gallon of beer. But because of modest process, they can produce a gallon of beer using less than three gallons of water, much less uh, water usage, and they can be more creative in their recipes and beer styles. So
0: that that creativity is something and you're probably going to get into that. But yeah, just like the variety of beers is one of the things that I find most notable when I walk in there. But Go on.
1: Yeah, when you look at their variety of beers currently available, for example, the Double Dry Hopped New England IPA, the Double Dry Hopped Citra New England IPA, what I'm drinking right now, the Bite Size Peanut Butter Cup and Coffee Stout. They have a Blueberry Pie Milkshake IPA and Oak Aged Smoked Hellas. Is that, Hellas, is that the per- per- correct pronunciation? I think so. Black- Black Lager, a Painkiller Tiki Sour called Death Sauce. I think you might be, uh, you've had a sample of that, Dan. As well uh, as um, the
0: Oak-Aged black, black Lager, which I'm drinking right now.
1: Oh, cool. And they have like the Oak-Aged, um, or the, excuse me, they have the Mango End Layer, of Fruited Ghosts, Double Dry Hopped, Double IPA, Rhinestone Eyes, a Pumpkin Pie Ale, Space Junk, which is a Double Dry Hopped, savero Galaxy and Strata Cream IPA. And so that gives you an idea of the range of beers available. Now, I just want to share one fun, modest story, and then you can talk about your beer that you're drinking, Dan, is some of you listening may remember Modest Dilly Dilly beers. This was a Mosaic Double IPA, and I can tell you it was delicious but at the time that they brought it out a rather large brewery leather rather large brew uh bud light was running commercials remember the dilly dilly commercials dan yeah, for sure so modest comes out with the dilly dilly and what happens bud light takes notice but in a rather uh humorous and fun fashion rather than sending them a stale cease and desist through an attorney they sent somebody in old english attire mm-hmm. Uh, reading from a scroll read by an actual medieval person. And they deci- and that was how Bud Light decided to let them know that they needed to stop uh, using that name for that beer. So they, cons- everybody then drank the rest of the dilly dillies. And I believe they still have that scroll hanging on the wall at the tap room, or if not still, they did for a long time
0: fun. Yeah. it's funny that they, they tend to go down this road a few times. So I pulled up the details here cause I remembered reading it. That is kind of similar experience with the false pattern, which is one of their, we would not say flagship beers, but one of their permanent beers and one that actually they produce in quantity that you'll find it out at, at, um, at liquor stores. And I actually have one more from a four pack in my fridge right now. It's an oat based for the grain uh ipa which is a really interesting way to, to do it really tasty but that used to be called the totes t-o-a-t-s but they got a letter from wine giant e.j gallo where they <laughs> had some sort of like ridiculous bottle that looks absolutely nothing like like the totes coming from uh modest and it was even was spelled t-o-t-t-s tots but yet they sent this cease and desist and and basically modest was like this is ridiculous but we don't have a bajillion dollars for lawyers and so we're just going to change it so that's what the false pattern is but like these guys can't (laughs) can't get out of their own way but it's great
1: it's either brilliant marketing you think about how much it raises their profile or they just like are honestly naming these things that end up. uh right. <laughs> Dan, you know, you mentioned the, um, not necessarily calling them flagships, but Modest calls them their mainstays. And uh. I just, I'm just curious, this is a little Modest. We'll see how well you do on some unplanned Modest trivia. <laughs> but I think you might be able to do okay with this because you already know one of them. Modest uh, lists that they have just three mainstays when you talk about the variety of beers that they like to experiment with, Modest has three mainstays. Can you guess the names of those three mainstay beers?
0: Well, I'm going to guess the False Pattern.
1: Ding, that's correct. I'm
0: going to guess the Dream Yard.
1: Ding, ding, that's correct. I, I was you know, right on very, that. Very delicious beer. And then there's a third one that I I'm, will be very impressed if you get it. Space Junk not space junk it is space oh. junk it is the supra deluxe a dry crisp american japanese style lager brewed with over uh-huh. 40% rice and premium extra pale Pils- pilsner malt and hopped with japanese sorachi ace hops
0: i should have known the the light lager would be the the final mainstay because you got to have that if you're going to bring in your brother who's not like way into craft beer or you know what I mean like you got to have that mainstay that's sort of the it's a fine beer but it's not Something that it's something that's kind of an entry entry level thing, and you always have to have that on the menu. So yeah,
1: it's not necessarily your preferred beer style, and so you wouldn't necessarily have it top of mind. The final thing, a uh, final shout out I'd like to give to Modest Dan is back at the beginning of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and the stay at home order comes, and breweries have to figure out okay, we can't have people in the tap room. We need to figure out curbside pickup or you know, uh, a, a slick takeout process. And Modest was one of the first breweries that I ordered from during that time. And they were quick to have online ordering. And to this day, one of the best pickup processes that I've had experienced, which was I order online, I go up, somebody brings out the beer, tosses it in my car, we don't touch each other and it's all said and done. And amidst the uncertainty, they adapted really quickly. And I really appreciated that. I
0: have a great segue from that, which is my own personal pickup, beer pickup from Modest. This time around for for this show, I w- I got uh the pretty metal, um black o- um oak aged black lager, as well as the uh, the death sauce fruited sour, um, and the death sauce fruited sour is they call it a painkiller tiki sour, and I, <laughs> I think that the tiki name is is cool because it reminds me, I think of uh oh. It reminds me of it, but I can't think of it. Across the river, they have the Kichi, uh, Tiki. What well, am you're I trying
1: either to? thinking of Psycho Susie's. I'm
0: thinking of Psycho Susie's. yeah. yeah. So they have all these sort of tropical tiki themed drinks. And, and actually what I thought of when I was drinking the, the fruited sour, it was actually tasting a little more like a cocktail
1: with mm. tropical
0: fruits than any sour I've had is really good, but it was just a very unique thing. It's basically barley malt, wheat malt, milk sugar, then conditioned on pineapple, orange, coconut, brown sugar, coffee, nutmeg, vanilla beans. So it was really a lot of stuff going on in that beer. And I went to pick it up. And the guy, you know, hands it off, and then, like he starts to walk away, and turns like, "Oh wait!" So this is a great beer, but when we serve it in the in the um, tap room, we always put a little bit of ground nutmeg at the bottom of the glass. Yeah. I was like, "Ah, oh, okay." And th- that's sort of that. Um, it was just cool that they took enough pride and care of the product that he imparts that to me. And of course, you know, we we have like a chock full. Um, cabinet. I mean, probably everyone has nutmeg, but I was able to sort of, you know, grind up some nutmeg, put it in the glass, and it made the experience a little better knowing that I was doing it, you know, per instruction from the brewery themselves. Um, so that's, I, I recommend the Death Sauce, I'm, but what I'm drinking right now is their Oak Age Black Lager. Um, And I'll for this one, I'll just simply say it's, my experience with this, it like, it's really, smooth. It's almost reminding me of a stout, like where you have a widget that sort of like makes the mini bubbles. It's kind of that experience. I would say it's like better because like my my main experience with that would be like a Guinness. And it's this, I don't know if I'd say obvious, it was like obviously more tasty than a Guinness. It's a really good, really good beer.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And I'm having the uh, bite-sized peanut butter cup and coffee stout. And Dan, let me refresh your memory of uh, a very popular viral video back in the day. Do you remember the guy who saw the double rainbow and the triple oh, yeah. rainbow? Yeah. And he's just like, whoa, wow. <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? That's <laughs> are you having that my... experience drinking this beer? Well, <laughs> oh, that's generally my reaction to all modest beers that I oh. try within the styles that I like uh, mm-hmm. as well. And so, highly recommend modest brewing, get them curbside, get them takeout. Our breweries uh, need support, but Dan, actually, I know we don't get political on this show, but there is a political issue that impacts some of our beloved local breweries that I want to chat with you about for a second.
0: Yeah, I think I might know what you mean. And I've actually sent letters to my representatives on it. If it's, if it's what I think you're talking about. Yeah.
1: And so this is where breweries, once they reach a certain level of production can no longer do a, uh, like growlers off off site. So where like with modest, you can go and you can get the crawlers and, and, and the growlers with places like Fulton, Surly, I believe summit. And then there's the one out of a LeSueur. I can't remember their names off the top of my head.
0: They can't, they can't sell their six packs and their four packs. They can't smell small, uh, sell smaller than, than sort of the crawler size on site is part of the big issue.
1: Yes, exactly. And so uh, and that that was proposed to the Minnesota state legislature to allow them that opportunity. And it unfortunately did not pass uh, really hamstringing some of our favorite breweries, most popular breweries in the state from being able to navigate this pandemic as much as they could. But, Dan, uh, rather than getting stale around like, well, contact your politicians, etc., cetera, uh, and of course do that around this, but I actually have an idea that I want to run by you. Here's what I think I would like Fulton to do. (laughs) Fulton? Yeah, Fulton and any of the others. Surly could do it too. Now, I'm not a great legal mind, but if Fulton's listening, they can take this where they want to go, which is, you know, with Fulton at their tap room, they have uh, their their own food truck right outside. So rather than having a different food truck each time, they kind of created their own food trailer that, uh, yeah. that was in there. Well, if I was Fulton, I would just carve out a little space to set up a new, an entirely new business entity that's not Fulton. You could call it the smallest liquor store ever, mm. and the smallest liquor store ever happens to only carry Fulton six packs and Fulton. <laughs> uh, I love it. And that they just find the loophole in this absurd law, especially during this time. And that, at, and so it's not the Fulton business; they set up a separate business entity. Maybe they're leasing a little bit of space to this separate business entity that, and they could then get around this law. What do you think? I,
0: I get, neither one of us are, are legal minds, but. <laughs> It it sounds like a wonderful thing for them to explore. That sounds like a great idea. And it would be one of those things where if they could get going, the main outcome of this could end up being exposure to what's going. And suddenly it becomes that becomes something that's hitting all the local news stations and it kind of goes viral, the the concern over the issue. And maybe it ends up being working out also as a thing that stays permanent because – then they don't have transportation costs and markdown and everything else if they're able to sell out of what is essentially an independent entity next door. But even if that wasn't the ultimate outcome, it would certainly shine light on this issue. I did find it interesting not to go too political. I've been yeah. <laughs> I've been cautioned to stay not to you know to stay away from uh heavy-handed politics and keep that for my my musician uh, Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, – I'm, hard,
1: yeah. I'm hard-handed when it – I'm heavy-handed when it comes <laughs> yeah. to uh, political opinions that uh, are potentially uh, offensive Lincoln. To our listeners. But as you like to say, there are some things that just get to common decency.
0: Yeah, and, and it, it is interesting to me that some of the voices in the s- State Senate that are most vocally – you know, out there saying you're killing our businesses are the very voices that voted down this proposal. So I don't know what is the deal with that, but just, yeah, I
1: think, I think the to do here is to see how your representative voted on Mm -hmm. the bill that would allow breweries to do that type of off sale that they're not allowed to once they reach a certain level of production and vote accordingly, advocate accordingly, write letters accordingly to provide a bit more freedom but Dan is it time for Minnesota Timberwolves talk
0: it is
1: (laughs) I am so excited for this because we have had two games of live basketball like five practices up to this point uh, a very constrained uh, training camp and Dan just first give me your initial (laughs) impressions of Actually, what I want your initial impressions of first is Wolves Nation's approach to the view of the team before the first preseason game happened. Sure. So Wolves Twitter, Wolves Nation, you get the idea.
0: Yeah, Wolves Nation uh, pre preseason or pre preseason games had this creeping, dangerous optimism that was sort of running counter to what we were seeing in the national narrative. And we were starting to see articles and think pieces entered into the uh, discussion with titles like, you know, are we, is it okay to be optimistic about the wolves? And is it, you know, is this, is this, but basically this idea that we're, we're so jaded and conditioned to only predict worst outcome that we're we're not allowing ourselves to admit that we might actually have a, a you know somewhat deep roster and a pretty promising season preseason games one and two come around and they're just abjectly terrible offense is out of sync and ragged defense is mostly non-existent but for a couple of glimmers and just the bottom fell out of of the discourse and it's you know my thing that i'm trying to be on guard for even with myself but also i've i want to be this moderating influence in in the world of discourse on all levels and, and Timberwolves included. And it got to the point where somebody created a, a Twitter bot, like a Russian hacker bot that was giving the same opinion about that's it. I had season tickets every year and I'm canceling it this year and I'm watching only Miami games or something. And yeah. I don't know at this point if it was a bit or whether somebody was that impassioned, but
1: but multiple people had the exact same post, which is why it seemed like it was a bot because it wasn't right. just one person. It was multiple <laughs> people who had this. I've been a. Uh, I'm canceling my package. I'm cheering for the Heat because they know how to win. And it was word for word the same. Right. Thing. No, I, I, I think it was. It either it. was a legitimate
0: bot, or maybe someone was playing such a complex game that they literally created six <laughs> fake. Twitter accounts and type the same thing as a bit, which if they did that, my hat is off to you. Brilliant. But I, I,
1: I liked your comment that, you know, maybe a Russian bot is trying to destabilize the Northwest division. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we need to start as a feature, Josh, as you look back through the various, because I'm usually the one doing the posts, and you find the underrated Timberwolves tip to tap Twitter post of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and just bring it out there so it gets a wider audience. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think I just did that organically. Yeah, right.
0: this is the inaugural edition. Maybe
1: you I, would like to start a uh, a power rankings of your tweets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Over the I, we only got
0: one show, Josh.
1: <laughs> we both uh, got
0: one but show. Yeah, so, so, but well, I'm seeing like voices, even – where I would hope they would be more rational. So I I think about a quote from Game of Thrones, Benjen Stark, who said, my brother once told me that nothing someone says before the word but really counts. (laughs) And so what I'm I'm referring to here is, I know it's just the first preseason game, but, and in fact, even John Hollinger, (laughs) even John Hollinger said, I know it's just the first half of the first twi- uh, preseason game, but I'm feeling like I really overrated the wolves. I'm just seeing marginal players everywhere I look, and I'm like, "Oh my god, really?" And so, of course, you're going to see that you know this from other voices, but so many people's like, "We need to cut Josh Kogi's minutes," and I don't know what we were thinking, you know. D'Angelo Russell shouldn't have even been ranked as high as 63 in the ESPN rankings. And it was just off the charts. And I will say it's okay to be concerned that the offense is disjointed and about defense and everything else. But I just want to make this note about the situation that the Wolves are in. So all NBA teams have been dealing with this crazy world and the pandemic and everything. And everybody only had a essentially a one week preseason. And so everybody has a, a level of excuse. And if they have a rookie, the rookie didn't get summer league and yada, yada, but that's kind of the extent of the comparison. So if you look at Memphis specifically, they were in the bubble. They were playing games much more recently than the wolves. By and large, they were running out the same lineup they had last year. So this is the this is the Memphis 2019-2020 team. Familiarity, comfort level with each other. Not only were the wolves not in the bubble, (laughs) most of these guys literally have not played together. National media and doing their prognostication for the season, of course, forgets that Cat and Delo didn't actually have a season together in which they failed, which seems to be sort of the approach. that
1: One game together.
0: One game together. You know, it, and beyond that, the roster has been so significantly turned over. The last time Cat played, Jeff Teague was the point guard. <laughs> you know, Robert Covington mm-hmm. was the power forward. That's like two rosters ago, it feels like. Yeah. Oh. And so the idea that there is an excuse is like it doesn't even really do it justice, Uh, you know, and plus we're trying to get Anthony Edwards had as many minutes as just about anyone on the team through these first two preseason games for obvious reasons. We want him to ramp up, but here's a guy who would have had summer league. He turned 19 in August. (laughs) He's a young guy with no summer league idea. So all this to say, it makes sense. Even if they were going to have a good season, it would make sense for them to be very disjointed at this time. All that said, my favorite Flip Saunders quote of all times is it's a no sympathy league. So just because it's an excuse doesn't mean that this ragged play and this unfamiliarity isn't going to be a challenge when the season starts up. So we talk about sort of where we see the wolves falling in the eventual rankings in a little bit here, but I will say that I'm probably not penalizing them enough because I think there is going to be a a ramp up period. And I go on a couple things, but I don't know if you had another.
1: Uh, Yeah. I I have some, some thoughts and uh, a question first, Dan, will will you remind me what is the wolves record on the season thus far?
0: Uh, The record is zero and zero.
1: So it's zero and zero. So we haven't lost a game that counts yet. Correct. I believe that's correct. And Dan, can you help me understand what the purpose of a preseason game is, from say the the coach's standpoint and the players' standpoint? Even a shortened preseason, but sure traditionally, that, that, like uh, traditionally, what is the purpose of preseason?
0: Purpose of preseason is to get some reps obviously for the players from the coach's perspective they want to put in different pairings and groupings of players to see how they work together that <laughs> there's some results the wolves are getting a few instances where these guys don't work together
1: <laughs> is it possible then that you would do things in the preseason that you wouldn't do in the regular season because you're experimenting in a consequence-free environment i think that
0: is fair although i would push back a little bit and say that the first game is in a week and a half and so i think you also do want to run the stuff you're definitely planning and running or run your fallback plan and see how that works so i would i i see where you're going and i think it's valid to a point but i think i think we're going to want to see some they're going to expect to see some cohesion and some things that are actually working also before game one.
1: Yeah. So we have one more preseason game left, correct? Yep. Thursday tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. So Thursday, December 17th. So how would you like to see the Timberwolves coaching staff and, and leadership approach that game? Like, what are you looking for in that week? I, I do want to go back to talk about what you've seen from the offense thus far and the defense thus far as well. But just looking to that third preseason game, what do you what do you what are you actually looking for? Or how would you as if you how do you want the coaching staff and leadership to approach it?
0: Sure. Well, I am unqualified. Oh, I'm I'm very qualified to say what I what I would do. <laughs>
1: Yeah, what would you do?
0: I'm not qualified to say what they should do, but that's kind of maybe we just need to say that at the beginning of every show. Uh, <laughs> I would run out the. I would run out the rotation, the starting rotation that I'm planning to start game one with, and it's kind of like the uh, NFL model as they get farther into their preseason and the starters start playing more and more quarters um i'd I'd give that starting rotation the starting minutes that you expect to see in game one i think there's been this general sense that wancho who came into camp so late was being held back until he gets a little more familiar and jake layman was sort of a temporary starter but i i based on what i'm seeing i i think he's making a credible case for being a for being in the starting lineup, although, you know, I want to hold back, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, judgments on what I'm seeing in preseason. I'm not seeing what the coaches are seeing, but I would like to see the starting lineup get in there and I'd like to see them. And I think there were a couple steps in this direction, but I I, I want to see them uh, adhering to the system a little more than we've been seeing thus far. I think just some of that unfamiliarity and not knowing where people are supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing. There's been a lot of shots being taken um, that the coaches probably don't want to be seen taken and, and, and just sort of a little more adherence defensively, offensively to the system.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I will say one thing, Dan, that as it pertains to the preseason this year or any year, but especially this year, given that, as you said, none of these guys have really played together. This team is a total unknown as a collective unit, that I I have zero judgment or problem with anything that happens in the preseason. Like, experiment, figure out what you want to figure out. I mean, for all we know, you know, Beasley is out there sitting there saying, I want to be first team all defense, and they have to manage the kind of personalities of players as well. And so for all we know, Ryan Saunders is tossing him out there. All right, take John Morant one-on-one. And then John Morant gets, you know, dunks on him. And then we get a little bit of humility or reality or buy-in from Beasley that, hey, this is a collective type of thing. And so I really, the, and then, so I have, <laughs> I just, I, I rank the preseason as of such minimal, uh, not importance, but of such minimal consequence of like what we're seeing, like, Ooh, should I feel anything about it? I actually don't think you should feel anything about it until we start playing uh, live basketball. And this is where the marketing engine of, well, this podcast or other things that you see is the Timberwolves have not played live basketball for such a long time. And so of course, uh, the writers from the athletic Dane Moore launching his awesome new Patreon service and and podcast. And all the local fans are going to like be all over these games because we haven't seen live Timberwolves basketball forever. And to treat them as if they are like assessing a playoff game, uh, like it's just, and I'm not saying they're of zero importance, yeah. but for... I think you may have
0: literally said that a minute ago. <laughs>
1: I said, I I have, I I said, I didn't say if there are zero boards, I have just zero problem with however they want to experiment with these in this circumstance. So I hate to overrate, you know, any kind of like preseason, Because as you pointed out in 2016, the Wolves went what five and two in the preseason, and they finished like 16 and 66 or something. Is that right?
0: In in fairness, I think that was a year Rubio got hurt, and so they didn't have the. But yeah, I think there was another year we had a a a, um, I forget what, but we undefeated preseason where we missed the playoffs, and it just it it just. Yeah, they they looked really in sync with Kevin Love and and Luke ridenauer and <laughs> he's okay. And I, I I'm with you a major a majority of the way, but I, I will again push back a little bit. I think so, to me some of the the non connectedness and raggedy play, while it's all the more not indicative of where this team is going, than it would be even under normal circumstances in a preseason. At the same time, it's almost of heightened concern because the preseason is so abbreviated. You know, the Wolves went five and two in that one preseason. That means there were seven games in that preseason. There's yeah. three games in this preseason. There was literally one week of practice of which Wancho, who is maybe starting, maybe he's seventh man, was not there until the second of the last practice day. Um, all that is just, it's, it's reason to realize that there may be some ramp up time, but that said, we yeah. get into the season, it starts going, nobody will remember this, even though everyone's freaking out. Now, if they start out two and O preseason is completely forgotten. Yeah. They start out. Oh, and two, maybe people are talking about it a little bit still, but the, preseasons are always overreacted about, and then forgotten.
1: Yeah. So Dan, tell me in terms of the offense, give me your Rubio theory related to uh, an offense that through a couple of preseason games, he kind of ragged, disjointed. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your Rubio theory that might fix this or give us reason to not be concerned
0: long-term. My, my Rubio theory is that even Rubio was out of sync. <laughs> Rubio had more turnovers than assists. He was throwing passes where guys weren't. And to me, that as much as anything is like everybody calm down. He like everyone else is playing in an offense where like he he said something like this in a post game. It's like oh you know I'm getting to learn Jake Lehman. He likes to cut. I need to know where he wants the ball he just like anything else, you're understanding player tendencies, what they need, what they want. And if Rubio is having trouble managing the game, that's, I don't think that's an indictment of their offensive theory. I don't think it's an indictment of their cast of characters. I think it's that they're just very, very new. So my Rubio theory is merely if he, if he's had I mean, they weren't out of sync when they had on offense, when they had, Zach Levine and and Andrew Wiggins in their rookie year. Yeah. That was not an out, you know, it was an an inefficient offense and a bad team, but it was not a, it was not out of sync. They just had more reps. So again, I think this offense is going to be dynamite, like really dynamite, but maybe it's going to take some ramp up time.
1: I think it's going to take a lot of ramp up time. And so that's where, I think you don't even need the preseason games to uh, make that prediction because a team that's never played together with their superstar grieving and still working through uh, those s- substantial personal life issues with the potential of a single COVID infection really impacting all of this. The minimum preseason, the minimum practice, the less time to work things out, the impact of preseason is a shorter preseason is you have less time to work out or resolve some of these issues. But that opening schedule those teams are playing looks pretty darn tough to me. Let me just because say you know, this. I think this is this is going if, if you don't have a long-term view as a Timberwolves fan right now, you are signing up for unhappiness. That's all I'm saying. If you're not if you're not going to give them 25 games and I realize that could have playoff implications, but I don't think we're going to see this team at their like, okay, now they're playing with some cohesion for probably about 20 games. That may well be, but
0: I'm going to play the role of Josh here. Yeah. Josh, remind me, what was the first game that the Timberwolves played after the trade deadline?
1: That was the game against the Clippers. <laughs>
0: and and we, we have we, a bunch we, of guys who were on the Team for the first time running a new offense with no
1: preparation, and were they in sync offensively? It was it was stunning. It was stunning. Uh, yes
0: they set a record for most three pointers in this team. So you just you never know. It could be that oh, and suddenly mm. it suddenly clicks. It it could be something like that, and you know they're but it could be that yeah. I I do think your admonition that we need to if. We start out the season and it's disjointed. We just want to see progress and we're working yeah. towards something. And and to what you said, if you don't have a long range view, if you can't, this is going to be a thing that we are going to battle and struggle against because you can be in the middle of an 82 game season. And if there is a trend that goes from games 53 to 54, you have people freaking out over that two game <laughs> you know, trend. So, so this is going to be something that we're going to battle if we're, if we're going to stay on this idea of like, what, what is the ultimate goal here? What are we working toward? And to the the defense of Timberwolves fans are like, we're just getting fed up with being told to wait.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Fair. fair. I feel it too. So Dan defense Mm -hmm. So concerns, reasons, or glimmers of hope.
0: I think there is just going to continue to be a concern. I, it, it is fair to say that Cat and D'Lo, as the leaders of this team, and you know this team is going to go as far as they are able to take it uh, until they show us something. Uh, there's going to be a huge concern. There's no reason to believe that the Timberwolves should have a defense better than 25th best in the league until they show us otherwise and they're welcome to do so. But that said, um, a couple glimmers of hope or uh, positivity that I saw in the preseason. one and a lot of people have been talking about this is beefed up Jared Col- uh, Jared Culver
1: yeah
0: um, who's just doing really great on sort of the point of attack defense. he was the did the best. Um, sort of one on one with Ja Morant, he, um, and how about this? Like he's one, he's a hundred percent on his free throws.
1: <laughs> yeah, Some
0: jankiness gone from the shot. He just seems like with his muscles came more confidence, and so easily he was being thrown into the potential trade packages. And is he going to be the odd guy out in the rotation? And you know, with uh, just a uh, with a little bit of a fixed to his offensive game where he becomes some level of threat. I, it's hard to see him not uh, surpassing a Kogi in the rotation because um, he's proving that he is a, not just a sort of good, sort of on I mean he was a decent defender last year but he's putting some thought into it and he's like making good decisions on on defense in the preseason the other thing I'll just mention that Cat has not been playing great defense and you know he's got every excuse in the world for whatever level of his head being in the right place is but one thing I've been noticing is in his interior defense and he this is hidden by the fact that he got a ton of fouls in like 15 minutes in the first game but Mm. he's walling up really well. I think as you see a post player get the ball and he's, I, I'm just seeing the arms go straight up and he's not, he's not swiping. He's not hacking. And, you know, maybe that's why they're also the, they're getting a ton of paint points. Memphis has in the first couple of games and so on, but it's a thing I want to watch is just his, the dumb, stupid sort of r- swiping, stepping out into dangerous space stuff cat does and i like to see him wall up there so those are two positive defensive defensive things
1: dan let's talk for a moment about players with something to prove Mm. and that's to me where i the preseason might give you a flash might give you a flash of all right this is an individual that we can keep our eyes on this year. And to me, Culver was one of those players with something to prove. Like Cat, in terms of preseason game, has nothing to prove. D'Lo, preseason game, has nothing to prove. Beasley probably thinks he has nothing to prove because he just got the big contract. Rubio, nothing to prove. Uh, You know, and you could go down the line. O'Kogi really, like, he has things to prove, but he kind of knows where his value is at and there's not a ton of pressure on him. And so to me, you kind of had guys like, Culver, something to prove. And because we got this brand new rookie, Anthony Edwards, and it's like, is Culver even going to see any playing time at all with all of the wings that we have? Then you look at a guy like Richard Hollis Jefferson, something to prove because of the kind of contract that he had originally signed. And now we see him like, oh, all of a sudden, everybody's super optimistic about Richard Hollis Jefferson, which I think is great. He's also one of those guys that like he had to make a mark to solidify – his opportunity. And so that's why I, to get back to like, I'm less concerned about the underperformance of the other guys and would be like, ah, the guys who have something to prove in the preseason played as if it were the regular season and the guys with nothing to prove in the preseason didn't play as if it was the regular season. And I just kind of like getting their legs underneath them and going through the emotions to an extent that the cut, the part, the big hole, the big gaping hole in that argument though, is that like, you know, the John Morant's of the world. And then like, well, what was Memphis doing? And how are they handling that? Were they just going through the motions? Did they have well, something to prove? Like, you know.
0: John, John Krasinski actually mentioned this in his recent podcast about what it was. I think it was Kat's second year. Maybe it was his third year when Kat was in a position much like John Morant here. And we played um, Memphis that year. And it was at the time when Mark DeSole was there. And Cat just destroyed him in the preseason game. Uh, Gasol looked slow, old. And it's like, okay, is his time finally come? And then like one of the first games of the season and Gasol went to work.
1: He didn't have anything
0: to prove in the preseason. Cat did. And it, so that could be some of that going on with John Rat. if he's super focused. and cats eventually has to be the straw that stirs this entire drink. And like in game one, so many X factors working against the wolves here, you know, is everything he could do to make his way out onto the court. And if he's not fired up to the level of Ja Morant in the first couple games here, that's understandable. And then if your guy, your franchise player is setting a little bit of a tone there, I think your theory is meaningful. I, shame on the wolves who couldn't sort of take it upon themselves because the entire team has something to friggin' prove right not that all these guys have to bear the burden of you know 30 years of futility and yeah. down but the team has something to prove on defense the te- you know dlo cat they know they have something to prove on defense if if what has been if the disrespect being thrown about related to their names does not have a uh, an impact on them and we don't get more defensively this year it's that's a major indictment i mean this is a probably a topic for another podcast but there is this whole deal if we don't do something cat's gonna walk it's like well if cat doesn't do something i hope he walks and i look i love cat and i think it's You know a transformational offensive player, but we have to have two all stars now, and we have a cast that is increasingly being made to complement them with shooting and if you have this cast and you can't take those steps, and like clearly you don't have if you can't have a playoff team with. <laughs> if you can't make a playoff team in the next year or two with this group, it's, it's maybe cat walking is maybe you get some players back in return that are going to give you a better chance, but that's very, very premature at this point.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about some open questions and let's start with Carl Anthony Towns. I want to provide some thoughts on cat for you to react to Dan in that so of course the big open question is, given all of the grief that he has experienced this year with losing, I believe it's seven family members to the COVID nineteen virus, that I am of the belief that all things aside, if Cat is not a super duper star for us uh, like he typically is, at least on the offensive end, that it's going to be really hard for this team to make the playoffs or get in if he does not play at, at least the level of previous years. Now people have been looking for improvement, but if he doesn't play at the level that he has at previous years, even though this team seems to be deeper or have better pieces, I just don't see it if he's not there. And, you know, I, and, and I, and I have I don't care to like judge why he's there or not there that kind of thing I'm not worried about that just the very fact of like if he's not there for whatever reason mentally locked in super duper star level I I I don't see how this team
0: if you were tweeting that I'd have a little one hundred and an arrow <laughs> because yeah. yeah all open questions kind of begin and end with that if Cat is not engaged and perform. I mean, there's good players in this league that are balls out and it's a no sympathy league. I mean, it's a sympathy league on on a personal level and before and after the game and
1: social media.
0: And then it gets out on the court and there's guys here that are like super motivated and, and there's not a lot of wiggle, a little bit of wiggle room and you're kind of out, And so, yeah, any sort of predictions we're making or any sort of most hopeful outcomes are all going to be with the presumption that we've got a cat that's engaged. And what else can we do? Because we don't know. And I get the whole thing about it's On some level, it's like there's issues that are bigger than basketball and it's none of our business. And yet all we can do is be fans and try to predict. And so that's all I'm saying is and then all you're saying is if – he is not all in then this is it's all off the table so agreed
1: yeah so what about getting this team ramped up you know we t- there's a lot of talk about family but what about familiarity on the court yeah you know, well and, and, the and, and I, order.
0: I think i've covered the or we have talked about the the familiarity and how we're just going to have to expect a certain uh ramping up period for for just knowing where guys are going to be and and that sort of thing but the one other thing that i was just sort of wondering about in the first couple games i was wondering if any of the indecision or ragged play had to do with this idea that and in it this might all still have to do with familiarity but you know last 14 games of last year with Beasley and and D'Lo and things were humming and smooth and everyone's getting their shots up. And now you got Kat in here Mm. who is your number one. And I'm not even saying that there's going to be like anger and resentment, but simply should I really be shooting this? Do I need to get this to the big guy? And I I think that there might be a part of that familiarity, familiarity thing isn't just about, knowing the sets and knowing where people are going to be, but some of it might be, should I be taking the shot that I was taking when I was, you know, Beasley's taken 16 shots in a game and d taking taken 19 shots in a game and you insert cat into this offense, who's going to be the right offensive decision in every single set. Yeah, um, That's going to take a little time also. And hopefully there doesn't end up being personality things, but um but maybe a reason why is a little balance in some of the rotations with maybe Rubio being in that starting line up lineup isn't good just because of how you have a couple of creators on the court at the same time, but just so you have one guy that absolutely does not have to be getting shots up. And another reason why you, maybe you choose, you know, Layman is another guy like that, where I feel like Wancho on some level is a guy that's going to feel like he needs to be getting his shots up. And let me say another underrated tweet but like nobody gets blocked at the rim quite like Juancho Erman Gomez <laughs> like that guy is my all blocked at the rim team
1: <laughs> Yeah there's a lot of enthusiasm for driving to the rim at seems. <laughs> and then I also note that the defense gets enthusiastic about that when Juancho Makes those drives as well.
0: Shots at the rim for a show are like spin moves for Wally Zerbiak. So.
1: <laughs> or like when Wally started dribbling, period. Yeah, he he's putting the ball yeah. on the floor, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why are you dribbling? I remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, open questions on the defense, Dan. Uh, open questions
0: are there, are just. Hey, I, I don't really have a whole lot more to say beyond what I have been about the, you know, this team collectively has something to prove. Kat and D'Lo have something to prove. Uh, the, the theory about from Vanderpool that solid is enough. I think that's the phrase or it's something to that effect, but the idea that we're not trying to be the best defense in the league, we're trying to give people low quality open shots and then be the best offense in the league is Mm. the approach as opposed to we're going to shut you down and, you know, fully actualized team. What, how far can you go with that approach?
1: So Dan, the, your evolution since I've known you or, I mean, everybody kind of changes and adapts a little bit in their, their views, but since I've known you, you've been a very focused on a very high level defensive team as the, the path to really good basketball, but you've also decided to, it seems show some flexibility over the past year or two around, you know what, at some point you just got to like, out maybe you just choose to outscore the other team that if you maybe don't have the personnel, or if it's just not your style to really be this otherworldly defensive team that. Like, who's going to outscore us? That's got to been your... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, I know you're not saying that. Necessarily <laughs> but, yeah. I'm just... i yeah. got the mouthpiece. Right. Uh, and, but is... Is that where this... This team, if they're – you're saying that before that, you know, do we have any reason to expect they're going to be better than the 25th defense in the league, which then if we want to be a playoff contender, where do you think the offense needs to rank then? Which I know is – yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to say that (laughs) – Based on what we have seen in the past, we don't have reason to believe that the team would be better than 25th. I think, in order for us to be a playoff team, the defense can't be 25th. So there has to be okay. an outcome that is closer to what the coaches are shooting for and less based on <laughs> evidence, which is not. <laughs> it's I'm I'm really setting my, up my projections for a major, <laughs> major uh, pushback, but.
1: Um <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> the question was around what where does our offense need to rank um, if our defense is going to be kind of below average?
0: Well, let's let's just be clear that any year cat has played basically you know last year's kind of off the charts team-wise because of him missing so many games. But every year of cat's career they've been a t- top 10 offense because he is that good at offense, he literally fits in any offense. And even, you know, even when it's a painful offense to watch in the Tibbs years, they're a top 10 offense. And when there's, it was the Sam Mitchell, Zach, Andrew, you know, young guys running gun with Rubio running the point, they were a top 10 offense. And so now you have an older, better cat again, presuming I want to stop having to make that as the, yeah. you know, a given each time, but um, we're surrounding him with guys that can shoot legitimate offensive talents. I don't think there is really a reason why they couldn't be a top five offense. All of this should probably be said with the. I'm making these predictions based on a Wolves once they're ramped up. Yeah. And so if they're a couple of weeks behind other teams or what have you they could be in, uh, have dug a hole that they don't get out of, but in terms of a fully functioning and operational team, um, I think there's no reason to believe that they're not a top five offense, top three offense. They are that gifted on that side of the ball. However, yeah. Defense.
1: Yeah. It's a nice segue to talking about two way players or lack thereof on the Timberwolves. Dan, two-way players on the Timberwolves list them off. Oh, well,
0: where do you start? <laughs> you got, you got probably Jake Lehman. I would describe I mean, he's not a, you know, he's sort of a starting level offensive player, sort of a starting level defensive player. So that's, I think some people might argue that he's not a legitimate NBA starter, but I think he is offers good contributions on both sides of the ball. Um, and beyond that, I think you got, oh well, Ricky Rubio is definitely makes offenses better and mm-hmm. is a good defensive player. And you know, if we see some legitimate improve, well, to this point, I would say that's your that's what you got. You know, we're seeing preseason glimmers on uh, from Jarrett Culver. But it's like mm-hmm. the wolves. Please get some freaking to And the, to be clear, there's not a lot in the NBA. You are generally pretty good at offense and kind of bad on the. It's just the way it is. And some of the great stars of the league are good on two sides of the ball, and that's why they're some of the great stars on of the league. And that's one of the reasons why people have been so harsh on Cat and and Delo. Um, but that's. I mean that is a concern. We talk about this bench that's a, deeper than it seems to have been for a long time. Now we're surrounding Cat and D'Lo with it, these shooters and this talent, but gosh, we're, the, the balance may be there in depth of guys, but the balance is not there in terms of what you what you can contribute as an individual.
1: It's a concern. It is concern, and. How are you feeling about our bench right now, Dan? <laughs> well, I will
0: say that the free agent period gets a little nuts with people overanalyzing guys that are possibly not even going to see minutes or be like twelfth or thirteenth guys, and and rotations generally don't you know even go that deep in, until injury. And as you start getting into flaws of players like farther down the bench, like Davis got in the game and people are freaking out over how bad he looked like, well, he, he might not be in the rotation at all. And honestly, there's a few truly deep teams in the league, you know, last few years, like Toronto or Celtics have traditionally been, I don't think they're very deep right now, but if you go through the league, like how many teams battling for playoff you know that are sort of fringe playoff teams have really solid deep benches there's not many i mean there's a reason why these guys are bench nba players they are limited one side of the ball or the other or they just have hard caps and on talent level so i think people gotta not worry too much about talent level below eight or nine and to be honest to the extent that the wolves, I feel like this year are a little deeper. The other, the open question that I probably should have mentioned earlier is COVID guys are going to be missing games like crazy.
1: That's yeah,
0: everything in a disarray. And who's going to be coming down with something and gone for 14 games. And you could have, you could have the best team in the league suddenly missing 10 games from a really important player. And it's a really throw things into turmoil. So again, that's going to play into prognostication. There's nothing you can do about it, but it's, there's so many X factors going into this year.
1: There are. And, you know, I, but I have to ask you about something that, might have seemed like a passing comment just a moment ago where you say like, oh, you know, Ed Davis, you know, people are so concerned about how he performed and he may not even make it into the rotation. It's like, Dan, did you read Twitter after the Wolves signed Ed Davis? Oh, oh my God. Ed Davis. Made the best my power teammate. rankings. <laughs> <laughs> Major power rankings. Don't best, even need to say any more than that. Best teammate of all. But your power rankings aren't based on like who's the best player, but just who had the buzz, right? Yeah, yeah. He,
0: oh, he had the buzz.
1: And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, Ed Davis. I wanted the Timberwolves to sign Ed Davis for the longest time. And to me, that just goes right along with, well, A, how the internet works, B, how Twitter Twitter works, but just the tendency for people to overreact and pretend to have knowledge about things that they have no knowledge about. Yeah. I'm glad you, know, you brought that up. That's if a- you ask those same people, who is Ed Davis? <laughs> yeah. Like they, I think a lot of them wouldn't have been able to tell you much, right? Yeah. Anyway, so Dan, do you want to get into projections?
0: Yeah, and I, I know we're getting a little long on time, so probably not going to spend a ton of time on this, and maybe that'll keep me from getting unnecessary a, a pushback. But one of the things I, I saw someone do, and I'm not going to be able to give them credit, but something on Twitter where they were just throwing out a couple pairings of the stars on other teams and. You know, if you're way low on d or way low on Cat, okay, well, that's where you're at. I can't do much about that. But if you think that they legitimately are really good players and d borderline star, Cat, one of the better players in the NBA, you start looking through some of these other, like, main players on teams and it's – you can see why. It, it seems like it's it, – the to, to take these other teams and say that they are necessarily like that much better. It's, you know, for example, like, okay. So are, you know, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson better than Kat and D'Lo? Are Ja Morant and Valanciunas better than Kat and D'Lo? You
1: Morant's could say, way better than, I will say Morant's way better than D'Lo.
0: Oh, <laughs> sounds like somebody is, <laughs> like really reading a lot in a preseason game. No, no is- I,
1: I I haven't mentioned this before. Um, I am a huge D'Angelo Russell fan. I love his style, his entertainment value, uh, a, a lot of his play. I do think he's a little overrated. He's a one-time All Star, right? One time. Yep. yep. And he okay. had that it was All Star year with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, but you know he's gone from. Hmm the Lakers, to the Nets, to the Warriors, to the Wolves. I think he's solid. I think he's very good. I love having him on my team because I like basketball for entertainment as much as anything else. But uh, if you're going to ask me, would I trade D'Lo for John Morant, I would do that immediately.
0: Well, uh, if you're asking me who I think is going to be a better, who's going to have a better career, uh, you might well be correct with that but as far as like right now i mean john morant was a a furiously you know googling uh john morant and basketball reference (laughs) He's clearly negative player on the defensive end last year um he uh, positive on the offensive end but he shot you know like uh he's like three 35 i guess he's a little higher than i thought from uh from three point, but it's like 30, 35, 30. No, no, 34% like 0.335 from three point less than 50% field goal percentage, which I guess that's to be expected, you know, less than 18 points a game. I mean, he's, he's really good rookie season and maybe you make, well, you probably make that trade, but I don't know. So, so, but then Valanchunas versus cat, I'm saying like as a pairing, do you take Morant Mar- and Valanchunas over cat D'Lo and, uh, you know, you probably probably would take CP three and Booker over Cat and Dilo for this coming year if C- if Chris Paul were to stay
1: healthy. We're talking but, about the Suns now, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, oh, I'm just kind of going down all these all these pairings. I my overall point that I just think like if 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 you believe in this pairing that we have, and and if you don't, then okay, then I can't. I guess I'm not speaking to that, but like, if you really think that like, we were really as a community, really into this idea. We like, would love to pair cat with Dilo. Yeah. Let's roll. So, you know, you got some other plus players in the team potentially would be in Rubio. And so that's playing into how I see this shaking out. So maybe I'll just fly through some projections.
1: Yeah. Fly through the projections. I think that'll be uh, helpful for people to understand more context around, where you think the wolves might land in the western conference this year.
0: And I'll say that once I get down to sort of the 7 8 through honestly through like 12 I I could make a case for anybody. What I am doing is what I caution people against. It's a most hoped for not most likely outcome Ooh, but yeah but since it's possible like eminently possible i'm just gonna throw it out there and if it, people there's enough people out there that are that are the naysayers of the world so i'm just gonna go super optimistic with like yeah. the most hoped for outcome for the wolves arguable for the wolves and uh we'll go from there so Uh, As much as it pains me, I'm going to go with the Lakers finishing number one. Um, There's really not much to say about that. They bring in Gasol and Montrezl Harrell and Dennis Schroeder. And yeah, they're stacked. And Until LBJ proves that he's declining, he's not declining. (laughs) Um, I'm going with a super surprising number two of the Utah Jazz who – gave Denver everything they had and only missed because of a Conley shot that should have gone down and didn't in the playoffs. Conley will step back, but Mitchell, I would expect to have a step forward. They brought in Bogdanovich. Um, I, I'm assuming chemistry is all right after the whole weird Gobert COVID thing and back on track, but I'm, I'm going with Utah as just a solid team that is just really deep and stacked. Um, I got the Denver Nuggets um after that. We're seeing some emergence of uh uh oh, what's his first name? Porter Jr. Ah, Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr., thank you. Um as maybe you now have a three-headed weapon with Murray, who really emerged in the playoffs, and so they're seem pretty stacked and they play smart. Uh I got the Clippers farther back. I I don't know, man. <laughs> like Maybe I'm reading too much into what happened in the playoffs. I just don't think that the, there's some hard feelings on that team toward Paul George. And I just think that we could be looking at some chemistry issues on that team. And so think of them as maybe not quite up there where they were last year. Number five, I got Portland. I know you and I are both sort of putting a little bit of the brakes on some of the insane Portland uh, excitement, but Lillard is truly pretty peak from an offensive standpoint. They have Nurkic for an entire season, and they brought in Robert Covington, which could really be a good – I mean, I, in terms of their defense, was which was a major issue last year, I think he moves the needle a little for them. So I'm going with them at and, number and, five.
1: Yeah, but I, I have to – I'm reading Dan's notes here where yeah. he has Portland Trailblazers, and he mentions the – Key play, the top key players on each team. And for Portland, you've got Lillard, McCollum, Covington, and Nurkic. And that might be in terms of other than the Lakers, in terms of, you know, four really solid players, that might be your next best. Utah looks pretty solid in terms of uh, four players as well. But Lillard, McCollum, Covington, and Nurkic, all healthy, is uh, a pretty killer four group of four but you that- know i'm
0: gonna say i think Nurkic is a little overrated actually
1: F- fair, I, I, but-
0: josh i think you better get tested i think you have nurk fever
1: but <laughs> <laughs> <I> think- <laughs> where, where the internet wants to kill you is you have not mentioned carmelo anthony anywhere in oh, the because yeah, yeah. i know you hate carmelo anthony and his game and yeah, I, I
0: don't hate him and his game. I I hate his game, but I love yeah. Carmelo Anthony the person. So, but yeah, uh, no, I think nice. if anything, yeah. he makes them probably
1: a little worse. But. All right, keep, keep going. I just had to mention I, that the yeah. omission of Carmelo Anthony to the internet, at least, although Wolves' twitters uh, seems to be a little bit more um, would probably be more in your camp on that one, anyway. So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah, and
0: yeah, and actually, I think he probably is is. His skill set is being used a little more effectively in Portland than he has in almost any other stop he's been at. So yeah, let's yeah. put him in there. Uh, next for number six, I got Dallas. I think a lot of people probably have them a little higher than me. I think Porzingis is a walking health concern. Mm. Oh oh, um, by the way, make sure you tune in to Very Bimmy Christmas for uh, <laughs> beginning to look a lot like Chris <laughs> It's one of our features.
1: Dan's uh, other podcast, First Team All Night's Time, will uh, have that feature.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Luca becoming a little more fully actualized is pretty exciting, but it's actually looking at the rest of their lineup. It's like you're talking about Dwight Powell, who has his uses, but um,
1: – and then uh, – oh, I'm getting – Josh right? Richardson is on that team now.
0: Yeah, you know, he's he did not – as a pro player, he is not really uh, – gone the direction there was a time when i was like oh josh richardson for R- jimmy butler bring it on yeah. and i feel like he's not his trajectory has not gone where i thought it would i mean who's the guy the the uh the, the other guy that they got in their starting lineup who's the son of the guy that played for Miami. Tim Hardaway jr thank you and you know he he's good or whatever but this is not like a world beating starting lineup this is really a it's like luca and also rands and Porzingis helps a lot if he's in, but you know, again, well, anyway, I have them at six.
1: I I think you're crazy on that one, but
0: you think they're better?
1: I I do. I think Luca is so good. Mm -hmm. Your, your Porzingis injury concerns are, are there, but this is a team that is just, I think much more balanced than you give it credit for in that. And that there's sort of this clear pecking order, in a way that really seems to work. And so when you look at Luka Doncic, Porzingis, Josh Richardson, Hardaway Jr., and then you've got guys who can shoot like Maxie Kleber, Courtney Lee's no slouch. They have Boban, Dan. (laughs) Boban. (laughs) Come on, man. And and Dorian Finney-Smith is a – Good co- contributor, Willie Colley Stein. I love that.
0: Wait, Dorian Finney Smith, I loved that book by Jane
1: Austen. <laughs> and Willie Colley Stein can give you minutes as well.
0: Oh, if we're, if we're now talking about Willie Collie Stein, we're not like giving any other team this benefit. <laughs>
1: yeah, I just, but with Luca and the clear pecking order and some really talented players, well balanced, I could see them being as high as. The second or third seed this year. Oh I'm wow! Maybe we should
0: do a upper tier, like one through four versus five through eight yeah. bet. I,
1: and 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 I that that's yeah. I I think that with Luca in the playoffs list last year, making yet another leap, I I have really high optimism for the Dallas Mavericks.
0: Well, then I'm just gonna say right now, let's make a bet. I'll say lower tier five through eight and you go one through four and our time is really getting on so I'm gonna fly but I'm just gonna say number seven I love what they're doing in Minnesota I mean they got Kat and Dilo, who are these amazing offensive talents they've sort of put a lot of shooters around them Uh, they brought in Ricky Rubio who's gonna really sort of help sort of just orchestrate things and balance things out give him a little veteran presence and he has familiarity with other guys on the team and they just surrounded him with a lot of uh shooters and then they have a couple um intriguing defensive prospects there so yeah i I really like what they're doing there in minnesota
1: so you've got the timberwolves slated as the seventh seed who do you have coming in as number eight
0: new orleans pelicans now they are ostensibly like a really kind of scary lineup with zion getting a full season in so Bledsoe now is their uh, point guard, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. I guess Lonzo Ball is a point guard, but yeah, I don't know. They got the couple guards there going and Steven Adams. But the more I think about it, it's like, that is a team of non-shooters. <laughs> so mm. I think in a modern NBA, I'm just going to go with maybe they're having a lot of trouble with spacing. So I have them coming in at number eight, but getting edged out by the Wolves. Um, at number nine, I got the Memphis Grizzlies, who people watch in the first couple preseason games. What? <laughs> but I just think of their kind of job, ja- Morant, and uh, Jonas. Is it Jonas or Jonas? Jonas? Jonas Valanchunas? Valanchunas. Um, But I, I don't see that they have a, a, a ton of, you know, when we play against them, they got, you know, Dylan, but um, <laughs> he's <laughs> kind of like our mid you know, media
1: players are just a wolves destroyer,
0: right? One of those yeah. guys, but in terms of like what they really are offering, I, I, I don't think they're quite there yet. Um, this is maybe I I think my my most controversial one I have because everyone's going nuts on the Suns, and what I am doing is I am flat out saying, A, Chris Paul is not going to be healthy this entire year like he was mm-hmm. last year, and B. Losing uh, Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio is going to hurt more than they think it is. And so I'm putting Phoenix Suns as number 10. What? Yeah. And then also maybe really controversial and stop me whenever you like dramatically disagree. I'm going Golden State Warriors because they were rotten before (laughs) Steph Curry got hurt the first three games of last season. And I'm telling you, Wiggins is going to bring them down. I was watching preseason. He's back to his old tricks. He's walking mm. around heel first around the perimeter when he doesn't have the ball. He's like, I made some, another underrated tweet. <laughs> like that uh, Luke Walton's mask was moving around more than <laughs> Andrew Wiggins. in that <laughs> game." <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, Draymond Green might be kind of getting washed and they're just, they're, after that, they're just how bad were they without Steph Curry last year? Now yeah. they have a worse Andrew Wigan. Andrew,
1: and Wigan. no play Thompson due yeah. to the Achilles injury. Steph Curry is the oldest player on that team, believe it or not. Well, and he's so over
0: 30 now, right? Yeah, he's
1: 32 and Draymond's 30. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it's uh, yeah, I look at that lineup and I can't see any reason to disagree with you. <laughs>
0: Um, Houston, I got to say, I'm a big uh, John Wall guy, actually. So it'll be interesting to see. But kind of chubby Harden coming in last night. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's a reason to believe Harden's. Is he on the team? Is he engaged? Is he adhering to COVID protocols? So many questions surrounding James Harden that I think uh, you just don't want to
1: bet on. I I know the answer to that COVID protocol question.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not an open question here. <laughs> um Sacramento Kings, I got them down. They're two best players. De'Aaron Fox, who's speedy fast and gonna be a pretty decent player. Buddy Hield, who's not should not have the contract he has. Um, San Antonio Spurs at number fourteen, where what a declining Lamarcus Aldridge and Derek White and DeMar DeRozan are their core. Mm. Uh, at Oklahoma City. I love Shea just Alexander I kind of wish he'd ended up on the Wolves through some sh- um, trickery and trades but beyond him they are should be actively looking to lose this year uh, so that's that's my lineup and yes I got the Wolves in the playoffs at number seven but that is best case scenario everything works out ramp up happens fast and yeah there you go remember
1: number seven is in the play in game this year that's not the Playoffs? That's the play-in.
0: Oh, are they having to play like number ten or something?
1: So the you know seven and eight will play to then.
0: No, no, um, no it shouldn't be that because seven should play the worst possible play-in. So
1: here you go. Oh, yeah. At the cl- conclusion of the regular season, the team with the seventh highest winning percentage in each conference will host the team with the eighth highest winning percentage in its conference in a play-in game. The seven-eight game. The winner of the 7-8 game in each conference will be the seventh seed in the playoffs for its conference. The team with the ninth highest winning percentage in each conference will host the team with the 10th highest winning percentage in its conference in a play-in game, the 9-10 game. The loser of the 7-8 game will host the winner of the 9-10 game.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: So if you lose the the 7-8 game, then you got to play the winner of the 9-10 game. And then that would be how you would get in. So the seven the seed, like if you talk about the wolves' curse, yeah, <laughs> is imagine they get the seven seed, yeah, seven seed, but then they lose both play in games and then they miss the playoffs. I'm feeling better about my prediction. <laughs> Great.
0: Okay. We're really running short of time, but yeah. we got to get in our Timberwolf power rankings. Um, and this is just going to be like how this thing goes like guys can be in the power rankings. They're gone. You might not see Ed Davis again this year after a really strong showing last week. Um, and, you know, you might see a name or two this week that you will not see again, but it just got to go for it. you ready. I'm ready. All right, so starting at number five, we got Jalen Noel, who scored like 22 points in like one quarter in uh, the fourth quarter in game one and may have insured himself staying on. And he may have insured himself of taking a roster spot that does not end up going to Jordan McLaughlin. But he apparently, you know, after lighting it up and, G League and just stinking it up in in the big leagues last year. Um, Maybe showing he's he's figured something out or knows what he needs to do to stick. So Jalen Noel sneaking in at number five.
1: Number four. Got Rondé Hollis
0: Jefferson, who was oh, if I well, no, I can't put him as a two-way player, <laughs> but I can put him as somebody with a flash of excitement on the defensive end, and so just an energy guy seems to kind of understand that he's on the bubble in terms of playing time on this team. You would said said he's maybe one of those guys that has something to prove um he he was one of the bright lights and had a solid game even though I didn't mention him before now um especially in game 2 against Memphis and so he has got twitter Wolves Twitter lighting up about his play, and people are like, You gotta start Ronnie Hollis Jefferson next to Cat. There's a lot of that talk, which I don't know if I would go that far, but I will go far enough to have him slide into number four in my Timberwolf
1: power. Number three.
0: Number three, Jake Lehman, who's had just a solid preseason. We knew this about him coming in that he's arguably one of our only two-way guys, also is gonna fit well into just about any offensive scheme, especially when we have too many shooters and good shot, uh, offense creators like D and Ricky Rubio, because he's great at cutting and just kind of seems to know his role. Also, a uh, feather in the cap of the, uh, front office that when they had that whole slew of guys, they brought in one year deals last summer who are all gone. They signed lame into three years. They knew what they were doing. Number two, Number two, I'm going with Jarrett Culver, who a couple of weeks ago was being talked about as odd guy out, possibly on the way out in a trade, trade filler, and appears to have really put work in on both his shot and also on his body working out, and also in terms of uh, his presence on the defensive end, kind of understanding about defense. He actually studied... Ja Morant he said this in an interview studied Ja Morant film and like sort of had a sense of what he needed to be doing there and so he's he's kind of the talk of the town right now at number
1: two and number one
0: number one I'm going with Kat um kind of because for him it's it's been such an um uh, hard to understand road getting to where he got to um and coming back and and taking the court and just being able to actually get out there and in game one you you know you probably heard that he had his whole thing he's in tears before it started he couldn't even stand up during the introductions game two he was actually kind of laughing around with guys and so he's powering through things and to the extent that he can get out there and engage himself it's a huge win for himself and the organization and so i just he had to power his way out there and i'm giving him number one
1: in in this week's power rankings. And you may remember in the power rankings I usually assign a sixth man yeah to the power rankings. Uh you
0: usually do you usually though all one time <laughs> that we've done this
1: <laughs> But my sixth man in the Tim Rolls power rankings this podcast is Dan's underrated tweets. Dan's ah. underrated <laughs> tweets that need more recognition, that need more likes, that need more retweets. In the uh, timber, in the timber from the Timberwolves tip to tap Twitter account.
0: So I'm gonna basically I'm taking that as my cue to stop calling out my own underrated tweets.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But but they made their way into the power rankings, Dan. Yeah, that's
0: true. So maybe I'm onto something. All right.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks everyone. I think that's enough for now. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Hey, if you can think of anybody else who might want to join us for this Timberwolves and Minnesota craft beer talk, please let them know about us. I'm Josh Dye signing off.
0: And I'm Dan Hilton. Um, I want to make sure everyone has a chance to get out and pick up swag from their favorite local brewery, because that's a way you can support them in this difficult time. Uh, They got hats, glassware, other fun beer related accessories. Um, Thanks Modest Brewing and
1: Modest Uh, brewing. Modest brewing.
0: Modest (laughs) brewing. Old habits die hard. Happy holidays, everyone. Be kind, stay safe. And
1: howl everyone. Timberwolves, tip to tap. See you next time.